0: you may be seated last Wednesday I, I started with um, getting to the root of our conquering or other deep-rooted problems and how to do that and I gave you three different ways last Wednesday and I'm going to um, I'm going to go to the fourth one tonight and just going to pick up there and if in any way you're lost I just suggest that uh you get the cd or uh, listen to it because this is again uh I had a man come to me right after I was done and there's been a lot of sickness in in his family and uh, he made a statement to me he said I have he said I have quit praying for the sickness he said I've asked God to reveal to me what's causing this sickness this con- constant going back to the same place, same way, same thing, over and over and over again. He said, I ask God to show me so I can attack the root. And folks, this is real. This is very real. I I don't believe every sickness has a deep-rooted pro- problem behind it, but I do believe if we've got something that is constantly reoccurring, there is something behind it, and it needs to be revealed to us so we can battle it. And uh, if I wanted to take this one step further, we could go into uh, spiritual warfare, which uh, you could touch on and, and also deal with it in that, and that's, in that way. All right, this is the deep-rooted problem that I'm, uh, I'm going to bring warfare against this problem so that we can stop this affliction. I mean, let's just put it this way. If a person smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, they'll probably get lung cancer. So what do we do? Do we attack the lung cancer or do we stop smoking? You know, you understand what I'm saying. And that's the same thing. Sometimes when we got afflictions, uh, and again, we're going to we're going to touch on some areas tonight that are very I think are very sensitive areas that we need to address. Number 4 on this is to affirm your position in Jesus Christ. Affirm your position. Now the term in Christ, we are baptized into Jesus Christ. When you go down in the water in Jesus' name, you are baptized into Jesus Christ. That means that we are no longer under the jurisdiction of Satan. Okay. Now, now you 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 follow what I'm saying. You can come down here. You can speak in tongues. God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. You've got resurrection power. When the trumpet sounds, this body can be turned into a glorious body. Now, you better catch on. You think I'm in some strange doctrine here. But the fact remains you're still under the jurisdiction of the devil because you didn't go down in Jesus' name. You didn't take on the name of the bridegroom. Okay, now, there is a parable that talks about a person who stood before the king and didn't have the wedding garment on. When you put on the wedding garment, you put on Jesus Christ. That's the garment. It said that the king threw him out into outer darkness where there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. So that means that you can get resurrection power. Say what you want, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That might mean that you're caught up, but that also means that when you stand before God, He said, where's your garment? You didn't take on the name of Jesus. Do not in any way, negate the necessity of water baptism in Jesus' name. That's what's happening in a lot of churches. Catholic churches are, ba- are, are receiving the Holy Ghost, but they're not taking on the name. Now, I'm excited that people are receiving the Holy Ghost. But if the Holy Ghost does not lead them into all truth, then they're still not going to go to heaven. So you can say all you want about how much someone talks in tongues, but they have got to have the complete plan of salvation. You've got to put on Christ. Then you have an affirmed. You're out of the jurisdiction of the devil when you take on his name. You're out of that jurisdiction. Satan then has no legal authority over us because Jesus Christ conquered him on the cross. The Lord rose from the dead to demonstrate his victory over sin, death, and hell. So we know when we take on the name of the one that died for us that Satan has no more authority or power over us. At salvation, at salvation we receive eternal life. Now now follow me. Eternity transcends time and is not limited by time. Eternity is the ever-present now always so thus when we become christians and members of christ's spiritual body we retroactively enter into everything that jesus did in his life death and resurrection i've said this before but let's try to see this one more time whenever jesus lives outside of time when he looks at us he sees us in our time frame but he sees every other time frame at the same time he sees us he sees himself on the cross He sees all the way back to Adam and Eve, and He sees all the way to the rapture. In fact, He sees even further than that. He sees the millennial reign. He sees the white throne judgment. He sees it all. That's why the blood is effective now, because the blood is still being shed. He sees it all. That's what eternity, we enter into that. God sees all of it at the same time. So when we experience God's plan of salvation, we become a member of the body of Christ. And in this spiritual position, we retroactively experience the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We experience death at repentance. Because Jesus is seeing us repent and He's seeing His death on the cross at the same time. He is seeing us, when we are buried in water baptism... And he sees himself being buried in the tomb. He sees resurrection power through the Holy Ghost, and he sees his resurrection. So everything is brought eternity. We move into that. That's 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 a lot sometimes to get your brain around, but that's exactly how it all works. Because we are creatures that are bound by time. You know, I I I've tried to. Well, I was talk, I was talking to Eric a while ago, and I said Eric, I said here in another eleven years, you can graduate from high school and his face fell 11 years 11 years I remember that I remember when it was 4 years and my face fell can I endure this torment for another 4 years you know we're bound by time but you know the older folks look at 10 or 11 years and oh, wow that you know that that was just yesterday 10 years ago and that's how you feel it doesn't seem like it's that long but God sees it the same way. You know, we we think everything is so long, you know, can I continue this battlefront until the rapture comes or till you know and, and you know God's looking at it and this is nothing at all. This is just a heartbeat. You know, this time frame that you're this life, this seventy years or eighty by reason of strength, he said, is you know, <laughs> that's nothing at all. Now, looking a little bit further with this, um, the eyes of our of your understanding, this is what, uh, actually Ephesians 1, it'll come up behind me. Ephesians 1, 18 through 21 says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what, and that and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Listen to that, in the heavenly places. For above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the which is to come. And in Ephesians 2, 6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's raised us up. When we experience salvation, we are retroactively placed in heavenly places. Do you realize that you experience a little bit of heaven every time you get lost in the Holy Ghost? Every time that you begin to worship, love God, and feel that wonderful anointing power, whether it's Wednesday or Sunday night, you are experiencing a glimpse of heavenly places. Enjoy that. Don't don't allow your mind and the devil to take you out of that about worrying about something that's never going to take place. Enjoy that heavenly touch that you have. Enjoy that. Get to such an intimate place with Jesus Christ that nothing is going to stop you from feeling and experiencing and knowing Him the way that you need to know Him. Now, think about this. How do we respond with that? We need to to tell God that you believe that, that I'm seated. I'm seated in heavenly places. And when you come to church, when you've got your mind on everything else, you need to sit down. And when you're praying, you need to remind God. God, we need to remind you. God knows, but we're just saying it that way. God, I am seated in heavenly places here tonight. I am seated in heavenly places. Nothing is going to deter me from experiencing and loving and enjoying your presence the way that I need to, whether it's Wednesday, Sunday morning or Sunday night, I need to remind myself I am seated in heavenly places. I am a member of the body of Christ and I take my position of victory over Satan and all principalities and powers through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. I have got victory over everything Satan can possibly throw at me. Affirm your position in Christ. Number five, recognize and deal with all Bitterness. You get that? Recognize and deal with all bitterness. Notice how there's a hiss at the end of bitterness. When a Christian is wrong. Now, I'm talking about real Christians, not someone who calls themselves Christians, all right? When a Christian is wronged by another person, God has this wonderful ability to extend to that person an extra additional, if you would, section, piece, a little bit more, whatever, of grace. God is able to give you additional grace when you're offended. All right? You got that. That's important. And that additional grace that you have is so you can respond to the offender. And through that grace, the Christian has the desire and the power to forgive and to grow spiritually through the experience. You have the power to do that. If an offended Christian resists the grace of God by refusing to forgive his offender, he will then surrender ground to satan you begin to surrender ground by not responding correctly and he'll experience the consequences of bitterness when you don't respond correctly then this is what occurs in your life you give ground to satan and you experience the consequences of bitterness very often a bitter person is deceived into thinking that he is not bitter that's a funny thing because I've talked to people who've told me, I'm not bitter over this. You could tell by their language. You would have to discern their spirit. You could tell by the language, I'm not bitter about it, you know. I'm just hurt. And if you had fangs, you'd sink them in that person, and you know that you would. That's exactly what you would do. You ever notice that no matter what it is, we are always right? If he kicks me in the foot, in my bad foot, I probably would respond. Let's say he stomped on my bad foot. Now, I would not even, honestly, I would react. It wouldn't be that I despised you, but I would react. The first thing I would do would give you a a, a forehead bash to the nose. Secondly, would be one into the midriff, and then I would finish off with a karate chop on the back of your neck. Okay, now that's exactly how I would do it. Now, the thing is, when he gets up, a good Christian would realize that I was in pain and I just didn't understand what I was doing. I was just reacting. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be teaching at Daniel's and Raquel's cell, cell group this Friday night, and I do not want that cell group, none of you to show up if you're in her cell group, because I'm going to eat all of the good food that she's going to fix so please do not show up there. Okay, thank you. I just wanted you to know. So regardless, you know, he's got to forgive me because I just, you know, I just reacted. Now, he gets up, and I ask him, I said, I'm sorry, Rob, for doing what I did. Maybe I went a bit overboard with the last little thing I did to you. <laughs> you know, maybe I went a bit overboard. And, you know, and he says, well, you know, he's he's got... He probably got his 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 what is it that vertebrae the G three or E three or whatever it is. vertebrae is kind of you know kind of swollen or something now, and he has to go in and get a neck brace on, and he you know he has got to forgive me, but you know he just says I, I forgive you, brother Robertson, but after a while, and you know he's off work for a little bit and and things are not going very well, then there's that little bit of bitterness that begins to grow. And you can walk up to him and ask him, you know, are, are you upset, Brother Robertson? And he can look at you and, oh, no, 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 I can't shake my head no notice you. I can only got a neck brace on here. Uh, I can't do anything about it. So that, that's, that's, how he, that's how he acts. But this bitterness begins to grow and grow and grow because, you know, what I did was wrong. But I did ask him to forgive me, and I just reacted because it hurt. You know, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we don't know how we hurt somebody. Sometimes we don't realize how we hurt somebody because we're always right. I'm always, I was right to react about my foot. I wasn't right to react, but I've got justification to act that way. And you know, you get hurt, and you start getting bitter, then what you tend to do is come at somebody else to get at your way of expending, if you would, some of those feelings you have so you wind up hurting somebody else. Your behavior can be offensive to other people when you are that way. Why did God put me in this position? Why do I have to take care of this person I'm taking care of? Why do I have to, why does this situation happen to my children or to my grandchildren or whatever it may be? And we start start getting mad because we are in these positions and so we take it out on everybody around us or we're just too stinking bitter to even talk to. And the only person you're hurting is you. You don't hurt the person you're mad at by making everybody else mad at you or making everybody else want to stay away from you. That never works. It does not happen. So, you know, we, 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 when we refuse, then there's another part here, we refuse to truly forgive. Now, remember that we're talking about real forgiveness, which comes from the heart, not the mouth. Heart forgiveness means that you can treat that person the right way after you've forgiven them. And so you, you know, you you surrendered ground. Then what happens? Satan begins to build his stronghold on that ground you surrendered. When Satan builds a stronghold on ground that you've given him, he builds it so he has a place to return to. Because he's not going to stay there. He's going to try to take more ground in your spirit. He's going to try to take more, but he can always retreat to his stronghold. And when he takes a little bit more ground, then he extends the stronghold to take in the new ground that he's taken. And before long, you backslid. That's what happens. Very often, a bitter person is deceived into thinking, again, that he's not bitter. Yet the spiritual and physical consequences, bitterness, will continue in his life. And there is physical consequences. In addition to the physical consequences, there is the punishment of being turned over to the power of Satan. I want to show you something here that I just found out myself. I didn't really realize this, but now this is Bible. So you follow me. And I want to say this again. In addition to the physical consequences, there is the punishment of being turned over to the power of Satan. Now the Bible talks about turning such one over to Satan that the body might be destroyed, that the soul might be saved. There's two scriptures in the Bible that tells you you can turn a person over. But this is Jesus speaking of this happening. Now follow how Jesus does this. And this chastisement, again, is explained in this parable of the unforgiving servant. And I want you to notice what he teaches. This goes along with what Paul taught about turning someone over to Satan. He says this in uh, Matthew eighteen thirty-two through 35. It will be coming up. O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. So likewise look what Jesus says so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses If that be the case which I believe it is then really the only time and I have turned people over this this hit me this hit me today when I was was going through it I have turned people over to Satan when they just absolutely just kept going back to the same thing, same thing. And uh, there was a root of their problem, and, I, and I've thought about this much today. Could It could be that some of the people who can't seem to get it together, and you have a right to turn someone over to Satan, but you better be sure you're doing it with the right attitude and spirit. If that person has not forgiven, then you have a right. Now, this is not talking about some sinner. This is talking about someone who's in the truth. This is talking about a Christian. If that person is not forgiven, then you can turn them over to Satan. And in that case here, they've not forgiven. And it says the heart. I'm not talking about lip service. We're talking about heart service. Case in point again, this. to be sure you understand where I'm going with this. He's forgiven me. He'll sit and talk to me. But when he goes and talks to Brother Williams, he tells how evil I am. Now, has he forgiven me? So when someone comes to you and tells you how evil someone is or what they did, and the next time you hear them talking to him like they're a good old boy, then they still haven't forgiven them. So then biblically, so that person can be saved... We need to turn them over to Satan and let the tormentors get a hold of them. Questions, comments? Anybody want to disagree and argue with me? I feel like arguing tonight. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Now now speak up. bitterness yeah well and this is where i know this is hard what i just told you but it's biblical that's where you just need to turn that person over to satan to the tormentors because the only way that you're going to really get i I mean it's important we think you know we don't want to think that they can be tormented but is their soul more important than they torment. Even if a person's placed in in uh, because bitterness will cause cancer quicker than anything else. Yeah. But you, if you've not you've not done this one. Well, that's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. And I know who you're talking about. Um, and that's that's what you need to do. Um, and there again, if that person is wounds up in a hospital, you can't go pray him out. I, I'm talking about this is this is real spiritual stuff here. It's one thing, you know, it's one thing to talk about you know healing miracles and so forth, but it's something different when you really love a person enough to do that. And you know, when it's a family member, it's really difficult. But if that person's going to be saved, you have got to. Uh, you know, I've I remember some some of you in here remember Sister Sister Wall. Sister Wall one time told Aletha, told Aletha uh, was, at this time, she was young and she was in and out of church and, you know, she was, she was having some, some struggles and she always to her grandma, I remember Aletha telling me this, she said, pray for me, some kind of, something had come up and she said, finally, she said, my grandmother said no and was real mean with it, she said, you pray for yourself <laughs> and she, shortly afterwards, she got in church and she stayed. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, one and I've told this before, but uh, a uh, my my brother-in-law, who's in church now, he he was raised by a certain denomination. In fact, his dad was a denominal preacher, and so he would go with my my sister uh, to church after they got married, and, and uh, went with her to church, and and he just would would argue, you know, everything against against the doctrine. And uh there was a, a problem going into details, but anyway, the pastor came to their house and uh he just looked at him and he said, You know, you you, you need to get your heart right with God. And my brother in law told him, he said, Well, I just don't agree, and before he got agree out of his mouth, that pastor said, I don't care what you believe and agree with, this is what's right and said it in a mean way. He came to church and got saved, stayed saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, You know, sometimes things are just difficult and you have to do it. A a person who has got a lack of forgiveness in her heart, you cannot and you will not justify. If I do not forgive him or he does not forgive me, it's not my fault or his fault. It's the person involved. You understand that? If I don't forgive him, it's not his fault, it's my fault. There is absolutely nothing that cannot be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And the Bible tells me that you can't be forgiven lest you forgive. So if you're living in a mess, check your heart. Check your heart. You know, this, this reference to the tormentor would certainly fit in the description of the strongholds of Satan in the life of a Christian who has surrendered ground in this area of bitterness. The ground that is given through bitterness is used by Satan again to build his strongholds, and from these strongholds, Satan influences other areas of a person's life. From the stronghold of bitterness, a person may fall to the temptation of jealousy. This is what happens when you get bitterness inside of you. When you get that, then this is, this is the direction you'll start going. You'll have jealousy, then you'll have envy, anger, anger. Or pride. And as a result of these destructive attitudes, physical consequences occur. People will get sick. I have seen and know personally people that was healed of cancer because they finally gave up bitterness. But it took that. There was no sense in praying for them physically. You wouldn't do any good. But until you prayed for them and said, now you've got to let go of some bitterness, then God stepped into the scene. And I don't care what justification you have, why destroy yourself over something that's not going to hurt the person that you're mad or bitter at anyway? why I mean all you're doing you're doing the same thing and this and you can agree or disagree whether you want to. You might as well take a gun and put it to your head and pull the trigger if you're bitter against somebody or lack forgiveness on so you're not hurting them you're just committing suicide the One who is bitter may confess the sinful actions caused by the bitterness. However, until that ground of bitterness is reclaimed, Satan will continue to influence that person from the stronghold. Do you see what I'm saying? That person, the one who is bitter, may confess the actions caused by the bitterness, but until the ground of bitterness is reclaimed, Satan will continue to influence. So, what you have to do is you have to acknowledge God's mercy that led you to repentance. Romans 2 4 will tell you that. Ask the Lord that you would bring to my remembrance. Ask him if he bring to your remembrance those in whom you have not extended the same forgiveness that you received. Remember that. List names as God brings them to mind. Now I want you to remember this. Some you're not going to do this in one setting. Sometimes God, if you you know there's a lot of people, you know, spend a few years and you got a you've got a rotten attitude to begin with, you can get bitterness against a lot of people. And if you really want to be saved, and you really want to quit being sick all the time, and you really want to quit having problems all the time in your life, then what you need to do is come down and say, God, bring it to my remembrance. And as God brings it to your remembrance, then fix the thing with God, then go to the person and fix it. Don't try to do them all. Go back down the next time, the next time you have an opportunity. God, I know that there's more here. I still have the feeling. Ask God to bring it to your remembrance. And as you bring it to remembrance, fix it with God, then fix it with the person. Come down a third time until you know your heart is right. This, we're living in the sunset. The Lord is going to come the next ten years. I'm not setting dates, I just telling you, within the next ten years. He's going to come. I believe that with all my heart. And you know what? If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But I believe that He is. But we cannot afford to carry some of these feelings that some of us have carried as this close to the coming of the Lord. We cannot afford that. And Each person that comes to your remembrance, you have to forgive them from the heart. And you need to say that I forgive, brother, borrow from the heart. And do it. And then I forgive him for stomping my foot from the heart. Now, he's got to forgive me for hitting him. Either that or one both of us is going to get bitter. You know, I can turn around and get bitter at him because I know he's talking to everybody about me, and I'm, I've done everything I can. I know I messed up. So, you know, he can continue to talk, and I can continue to get angry. Before long, anger turns into bitterness. I'd hate, to, I'd hate for the sound of trumpet to come back and everybody shoot up out of here except me and the person I was bitter against. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I mean, have the whole church empty and you you, you two set? Uh, yeah, it's not really, is it? I mean, I mean, well, you, and all the time you could you could get down and wash each other's feet and beg each other forgiveness. It's not going to make any difference after that. That's scary to even think about it. And by the way, if, God, if you have this list that God gives you and you make everything right and you name it by name and what they did to you, after that's all done, if you write it down, burn the list. Burn the list. All right, number six, confess how you have hurt others. Any guilt that we allow to exist in our lives automatically provides ground for Satan and his strongholds. Now, guilt occurs when the conscience convicts the mind or the spirit that we have offended God or others. The only way to remove this guilt is to confess our offenses and ask for forgiveness. It is a humbling experience to acknowledge that we were wrong and to ask others to forgive us. And therefore, unless we are willing to die to pride, we will continue to carry this guilt, not realizing that Satan will use it to bring defeat and destruction. The first step in conquering guilt is to ask the Lord to bring to our remembrance the people whom we have wronged. Therefore, if thou... Bring thy gift to the altar and there remembers that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave he there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift Matthew five, twenty three, twenty four. When God brings names again to your mind, recall it's very similar to the one I just gave you, but I think we need to have both of them. So when God brings names to your mind, recall how you wronged them. Ask God to forgive you and purpose to ask each person to forgive you. And if there is not a sense of sorrow for what you have done, ask God to give you the spirit of repentance. You see, that's another key. If you don't have sorrow, you ask someone to forgive you and there's not sorrow. Then you need to ask God to give you a godly sorrow before you even approach that person. You need to feel this. You need to know that you're doing it from your heart. That's how you know you're doing it from your heart. If you feel a godly sorrow or a spirit of repentance, if you would. Be as specific as you can when you ask for forgiveness. Emphasize your wrong actions or attitudes. And do not mention any offense or responsibility which the other person may have had in the matter. It's not up. I'm cleansing me. He's got to take care of himself. You know, it's, it's, it's not about, you know... Yeah, Rob, I'm so sorry what you, you know what I did to you, but if you hadn't have done what you did, I never would have. That's not. That's not for You know, this is difficult for me because I don't understand people not being forgiving. I, I don't. I never have. I've never understood that. I I have a tendency to hold grudges. You know, I really do, but when the time comes to get things out and done, you get them out and you get them done, then I forget it. I, I, and when people people come in to talk to me, I, I you know, I, or, they, or they've done something and they're trying to confess it, get rid get rid of it. I, I will tell them, you know, you you're telling me as far as I'm concerned, it's over with. let's just forget it, and I go on. I don't remember the thing. I go on. I really do. I don't understand it because I don't to, to, to hang on to something, and to continue to hang on to something. I'm not hurting anybody but me that's all number seven turn all rebellion into obedience the relationship between rebellion and satanic strongholds is cre- clearly established in first samuel fifteen twenty three. rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft witchcraft involves a surrender of the mind the will and the emotions to the power of satan Rebellion in its basic form is refusing to honor God as God, as God, and it is building life around myself rather than around God and his kingdom. It is reserving to myself the right to make final decisions. It is reacting to the authority of God in my life or to the authorities that he has brought into my life. Getting out from under the protection of God-ordained authorities is the way in which we expose ourselves to the realm and the power of Satan's control. Therefore, the way to regain ground that has been given to Satan in this area is to get back under the authority of God and purpose to be obedient to the direction of his word. Now, we're going to look at some things here. You know, number one, in response to this, we need to, I purpose to ask God to forgive me where I have not been submissive to proper authority. I will ask him to forgive me of the sin of rebellion and reveal to me the full extent of my rebelliousness in the following areas. Number one, i will come up behind me. Parents, and, and bring the scripture up with that. Okay, bring the scripture up right with it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee. And by the way, even though you're not living, you may be 50 years old or older, and you still got a parent that's alive, you still owe them. You can say what you want, you still owe them. Number two, husband, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 3. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair, and of wearing of gold, that means plaiting gold into your hair, or putting on of apparel. Okay, so husbands, church leaders, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Number four, government. Romans 13, 1 through 7. And this is a hard one for all of us. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good... And thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So government as well. That is why you're wrong if you don't vote. Don't sit in here and gripe. I'll gripe anyway, but i got a right. I voted. Don't you gripe unless you vote. What we got in the White House is because you didn't vote. Sorry. Employers. Next one. This is lengthy. It will come up. I'm not going to read it, uh, but she'll run it through there. You can read it yourself. 1 Peter 2, 10 through 21, and that is simply the same thing. You own allegiance to your employer. And what we need to do is I'm going to trust God to work through his established lines of authority and I refuse to be rebellious against that. You see, when you do this and you give ground to Satan, rebellion gives ground to Satan. Number eight, confess specific sins of the flesh. You know, the familiar words of 1 John 1, 9 provide clear instruction on how to reclaim surrendered ground. This is how you reclaim surrendered ground. Now, follow me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is excuse me significant to note that God did not tell us to simply confess that we are sinners. Instead, we are to confess each individual sin that he brings to our minds. And with each sin we gave up ground to Satan with each confession. With each confession of each sin, we reclaim ground. So in confessing sins, it's not appropriate to go into explicit detail, and that's, that's something else. You, know, it's, you, don't go into, you don't do anything that's going to bring any sensual desires to you. You, know, you, don't, you don't get so specific in areas. You, just, you, you hit the sin, but you get away from the sin after you've hit it. Don't bring up something that's going to make you remember something you don't want to remember. Neither is it effective to be so general that the type of sin is not identified. Identify the sin and move on. Confessing sins does not mean that we engage in long periods of introspection. This is a good one. I see people, you ever wonder why people can get down and pray for an hour and get up and look worse than what they started praying? You ever wondered? I've seen that. I've seen people who pray and get up, and it's like they never prayed at all. And the reason for that is because the introspection. When you start looking in, you know, the Bible says examine yourself, see whether you be in the faith examine yourself but don't be lengthy you know whether you're right or wrong if you see things are not right in your life then you start making things right in your life but you don't get into such introspection that you begin to uh, to uh, well let me just finish it such activity leads to disillusionment and despair you get disillusion with what you are you you begin to fall into despair instead it means that we are to ask god to bring to our remembrance the sins that he wants us to confess at the moment at that's the key at the moment God is not going to overburden us. He gives us grace and He extends mercy to us. It's at the time, there's times and seasons when you get down and God brings something to your mind. Have you ever had God do that and wonder where it came from? That was came from God. When you begin to examine too closely, okay, if I'm examining myself, God brings this thing out. I take care of it, get rid of it. I don't get in and see how bad a person I am and get in despair and get up. You don't You don't pray anymore. All you do is sit there, lay there, whatever it is, and think about how bad you are. That is is casting disparity on God. That's saying God can't forgive me. That's saying God has not extended mercy and grace to me. So we don't do that. We get down, we let God bring it to our minds, and we take care of it. At a later date, he may bring to our minds other sins. We're simply responsible to confess the sins of which the Holy Spirit convicts us. The same scripture that instructs us to confess our sins assures us that God will also cleanse us from, all, from the sins that we cannot remember. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A husband or a wife or a son or a daughter who refuses to confess a secret sin is thereby giving ground to Satan and he will certainly use that ground to build a stronghold of fear, condemnation, discouragement, guilt, and suspicion. Now let me tell you all this. Confess specific sins of the flesh and then do this. After you've taken care of that, you've given that list to God, then you will also say, I also purpose to remove all provision for the flesh. You see, you will go right back into it if you have got provision for the flesh. Provision for the flesh. <clears throat> Listen, let's just be real down to earth here. If you're male or female, I'm going to quit saying male anymore because females are as bad, and you've got a lust problem, you don't turn on the television and watch some kind of nasty thing that shows some nasty things. Nor do you see a nasty movie and see some nasty things. You make provision for the things. So one of the testimonies a guy had uh, concerning this particular, this information, he said that, that he had this kind of problem. He had, had, had gone out, he, he, you know, his, uh, him and his wife had to get married. He still had a lust problem. He had made some mistakes all through it. He got his heart right uh, with God. And he said he still was having problems, but he said what I realized, he said I was feeding this thing through what I was watching on television. And he said, uh, you know, and he said what I finally did was he said I began to confess and tried to take care of this and go right back and look at it again. And until he got rid, he has got rid of the television, and I got rid of the television, he said then, he said I confessed it and it quit coming back. So you can't make provision for the flesh and expect to just continually go through this over and over and over again. So I remove all provision for the flesh. I'm going to try to do one more before I get in trouble. Acknowledge, this is a good one, acknowledge the sins of your forefathers. In order to adequately discuss how the sins of the forefathers affect our lives, it's important to specify the scope of this. We need to understand this. Now listen to me. Scripture does not tell us to confess the sins of our forefathers. They were responsible to confess their own sins. That's their responsibility. And neither does the scripture teach that our confessions will free our forefathers from their own guilt. Each person is judged or condemned by the words of his own mouth. You can read that in Matthew 12:35 through 37. And even though we're not responsible or guilty for the sins of our forefathers, their sins do affect our lives in the same way that Adam's sin affects our lives. We inherit the weakness and the tendencies of our forefathers. At the same time, we're given greater grace to deal with the effects of their sins. For where sin abounds, their grace does that much more abound. It is on the basis of these truths that God states in Exodus 25. He said for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. Scripture also speaks of the power of family blessings and curses. Family curses brought both Rachel and Jonathan to premature deaths. Jonathan didn't deserve the death he got but it was a family curse that got him. Any guilt. That would cause the curse needs to be confessed in order to regain the ground that Satan is using in this area. Any guilt needs to be confessed. Follow this. You can ask, and this can be a prayer, and I want to define a few things here. I ask you, Lord, to command every familiar spirit, this would be your prayer, and every enemy of the Lord to leave me and to go where Jesus Christ sends them. Okay? Now, the definition will come up of familiar spirit. By Hebrew definition, it is a spirit received from family members involved in the occult. That's what a familiar spirit means in the Hebrew. So if you've had a family member somewhere down the line that was involved in the occult, and you don't know that you don't. If you've had a family member involved in the occult, then you need to... I know that great-great-grandmother Jesse, was involved in the occult. Lord, I, I, I confess you, was, I do not want that sin near me. I bind this iniquity in Jesus' name. That's how you need to pray. Send it back to where it belongs. That's how you need to do it. And you need to, you, you need to ask God. If there's something else working on you, then you need to ask God. You need to ask God, God, if I have had a family member that's involved in the occult, I keep getting these things in my life over and over and over again. I keep seeing these crazy temptations, these problems. And, you know, God, let me see it and let me confess it for them. Confess theirs. That not not's going to free them, but confess it that they did it and that you don't want it to affect your life. That's how you have to do it. So acknowledge the sins of your forefathers. I oh, got one more I want to do. Then after all this is done, you need to rededicate your body to the Lord. As ground is reclaimed from Satan, there will be a corresponding freedom and joy. Now this freedom allows us to make a full dedication of our bodies to the Lord and then a daily yielding of our members to the Holy Ghost. Failure to dedicate ourselves to God gives Satan continual, continued jurisdiction for when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come out, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first because that man is now eight times worse. He is eight times worse. So based on this teaching, it is impossible for a person to be neutral regarding his commitment to the Lord. Either he is totally dedicated to God or he is the other way. There's no in-between ground here. And you have to constantly keep that. The Spirit, <clears throat> is, in our Spirit is where God's Spirit dwells. And that animates the soul man. The soul man is inside of us. What you see here is a glove over the soul man. It's just a glove. But this glove gets us in a lot of trouble. If the glove controls what's in the glove, then we've got a problem. But if the Spirit controls what's in the glove... Then we're going to do fine. All right, quickly. I know I'll be in trouble. It's okay. Questions or comments? Questions or comments? Anybody? Ooh, wonderful. Now you have to speak up because I hear. I can't hear. I'm not yet. I got to wait till I'm 65. I can get it free then. What? Well, if they had a familiar if they were dabbling in the occult, then that familiar spirit is a part of the iniquity that they pass down. If they have not confessed their sins, have not taken care of things that thing that thing continues to go down the bloodline until somebody stops it and if you don't stop it, you know a person could be in church and have constant trouble in church and never deal with that and fight their entire time. Now, I'm not talking about the normal battle that we all fight. I'm talking about an extreme fight that you fight all the time against temptation, against demons, and you can deal with that and you can die. And you can go to heaven because you fought through, but you still have passed that thing down to the next generation. And so they'll do the same thing till somebody recognizes and admits my great-great-grandpa or grandma was messing the occult. God, I stop it right now in Jesus' name from the heart. And that's the only way to stop it. That is the only way. Anybody else? Go ahead. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I've got a, if I could find it, i got a book on Freemasons. It really goes into the into the depths of all that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, somebody needs to probably still stop that. That that thing can still get in, and it may not be it may not be a, a completely vicious thing, but it can erode constantly, constantly work at you. And it may come at you in different ways, but I, you know, just confessing that my grandfather was a Freemason, I want to stop that spirit right here in Jesus' name. I, believe me, you'll understand what I'm saying. I've had other people that have told me they've done this and it's worked. Go ahead, sis. well your grandfather was I would confess that thing you'd be surprised you'd be surprised there's a lot of illnesses that could lift because it, you know this is you know this is biblical you know you're going to Nehemiah I believe it's Nehemiah the sixth chapter and that whole chapter one of the chapters I've, I'm thinking of the sixth one Nehemiah talks about the iniquities of one generation being passed down to the next and so forth and so on any other question or comments to stand then All right, close your eyes, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray right now, God, a blessing upon each and every one. Bless their homes. Bless their finances, God. I pray that you bless their marriages, their children. I ask God now, keep them safe as they travel. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Don't forget your kids downstairs.